Welcome. Come on in. You know the drill by now. Pick a seat, whichever one you fancy. Gregory has tea for us. Thank you, Greg, as always. All right. Where did we leave off? Got to Makaro. Had the heart of Makaro. And I do mean the drink. Talked to some buccaneers. Delivered shade. Talked to Kazette. Ah, yes. The meeting. There needs to be a meeting. So let's get into that, shall we? Article 12. The Magus Manifest. So we are in the galley. Somebody tell me a time. One o'clock in the afternoon. We have established that Beric has specific times for when food is served. And if you miss it, you miss it. So it's just after lunch. Cosette has done a all points saying, hey, we're going to do this thing. If you have magic, please show up. So right now, it's just you guys, Mama Coco and Cosette. You hear from above you a quick pitter-patter of feet, some Castilian complaining, and then Roz comes downstairs. He takes a seat at the table. Capitano, why? Why are the blanks like ice all the time? You know, they make sandals, right? I feel like that's just wood with extra steps. No chanclas, and I have three very good reasons for that. Primero, they do not make chanclas that allow me to grip using my feet. Segundo, Unless these special junglers are tied to my very legs, they will fly off in the middle of flight. Tercero, and the most important of all, we do not need to give Charles any more reason to throw anything else at me. See? No junglers. The heavy footsteps that were hidden by Roz's tangent are now next to the entry of the galley. You would certainly get less splinters if you wore them. Ah, but Senor Klaus, then I would have no reason to come see you for your famous foot rubs. I suppose. <sighs> Good morning, everyone. Klaus. Good afternoon. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for waiting for me. I was having my afternoon nap when Cosette woke me and told me it was urgent. This is important. So that what happened on the way here doesn't happen again. Jawohl. And Klaus takes a seat and rests a massive book on the table and yawns once more. I am appreciative. I know that there are a lot of moving parts right now, especially with cleaning up the ship. For once, I am glad to be woken up to only a serious talk as opposed to serious medical attention. <laughs> Outside the galley, the stairs from the bilge creak in Violent protest as someone heavy and large lumbers up them. Raz's attention immediately snaps to the galley door and a wide smile of excitement begins to split his face. I hold it together, Raz. Capitano, I am the maestro de cuerdas. Of course I will hold it together. Although I may fray at the edges a little bit. And then a great shadow locks the door to the galley. There is a hesitation, an audible confusion, as we hear Ursa try to figure out how to get in the galley. Could she not fit? To be fair, the doors were made for larger folk, just not as big as her. Hawthorne, what the fuck? Ursa shifts uneasily on one foot and then the next and lowers so that her head is just below the threshold of the door. 
Sideways, mi amor. Sideways. She grunts an affirmation, <laughs> crouches down very low to the ground, turns her body, and sidles sideways into the galley. It's a tad bit awkward. But once she's inside, she sits beside the door. There's no way she's going to fit at the tables. Even sitting on the floor, she is towering over everyone seated at the table. And Roz scoots as close as he can get to her. <laughs> as the crew have been filtering in one by one, Cosette has been flipping to a blank page in her ledger, writing their name at the top, thumbs a few pages over, and then starts the next name. After Ursa sits down and everyone goes quiet, she clears her throat. <clears throat> if that is all of us, then I shall begin. There are fast steps approaching, and Agnes bursts into the galley and sits as far away from everyone as she possibly can. Charles walks in shortly after, closing the door to the galley behind him, and takes his favorite seat, which is as close to Boots's door as possible, and begins to whittle on a piece of wood. There ain't an ounce of magic in me. I'm just here to listen and learn. Très bien. Monsieur Greywell, you may begin. Certainly. I am what is referred to as a Knight of the Grail. For anyone who is not familiar in Avalon and in the Glamour Isles in general, we gain our sorcery from the Holy Grail itself. And I was chosen as one of its protectors. I can do a number of things, as some of you might have seen already. I have the ability to, under certain circumstances, mend the ship to an extent. I can remove myself from individuals' perceptions for a period of time. And if someone tries to use their powers against me, I can push back. I can stop it. But, unfortunately, it has to be me specifically. The camera is focused on Cosette as she is adjusting her spectacles on the tip of her nose and writing down everything that she hears. She does not look up when she asks, Is there an entity we will need to speak with whenever you use your magic? Wayland glances over at Verison. Not to my knowledge, as far as interactions are concerned, the terminology we use is embodying and I embody one of the knights. That is how I use my power. So it is less of a possession and more of, how you say, donning a mantle? Oui? Aye, that would be the appropriate terminology, yeah. Très bon. Mia Coco, if I am not mistaken, yours is a possession? Oui? It's more a invitation. I invite Dedawa to... Ride along with me, and I take a back seat while they take the helm. Y'all met Captain Agwe. He is a private spirit, does not like to interact more than he has to, unless he's given command, because he is a captain in his own right. Regardless of that, for all intents and purposes, I am not there when Captain Agwe is... I'm tucked away. I can be present in the sense that I can see and hear everything that's going on around me, but I have no agency. It's like watching through a window. 
I can tell what's going on, clearly, but I can't do nothing about it. Not until sunrise the next day. Très bien. And what can you do while Captain Agwe is at the helm, as you say? Captain Agwe is the spirit at VNC. And his only rival in power is Tiburon, the King of Monsters. So, of course, they have a conflict between them at all times. But it was once said that instead of killing the Sovereign when he found him stranded on land, he saved him. And Tiburon, instead of destroying his nemesis once he was freed, made him a promise. Should you ever find yourself stranded and helpless, as I was, I will send aid, for we must fight at our best. As the Sevite, I can call upon the Rima ears. The eels that were at the bottom of the ship, they cling to Tiburon, much like the small remora to normal sharks. They can follow a simple single command that Agwe gives them, and he can control them so long as the servite is not disturbed. Captain Agwe is also the patron of sailors. He always knows where true north is, so we can't get lost at sea. And though most of the sailors don't know it, they are all his crewmates, and he knows where they are at all times. And that, if he closes his eyes, he can see through theirs. So while Captain Agwe is here, he can connect with them, any person who sails on his waters. I can know the general location of one of those sailors, find out what their mood is at the time. And see through their eyes for a little while. Until they sense his presence. This is good to know. Anything else? Captain Agwe can give life to a ship. If I take the helm, whatever ship I'm holding on to comes to life. And acts like a monster at the bay itself. It can churn through the sea like any shark could and supposedly can sail beneath the surface for a time, moving as though it were a creature instead of a man-made sheep. However, Agwe has warned me that if I do such a thing, I risk my very life. If I'm to understand his meaning, my life becomes the ship's and vice versa. So if we're in the middle of a fight and the ship takes hits while it's alive, I take those hits. I've never done it before. I never had a ship to do so. But it's something I can do. Waylon stares at Mama Coco. Kind of a haunted look. Now, if I'm mistaken, please forgive me. But Agwe has to remain with you until sunrise? What does that mean? Part of being invited is that you eventually got to leave at some point. They only stay for a night and leave the next morning, as a proper guest should. Agwe works a little bit differently. Normally, when you invite a Loire, they stay the duration. However, Agwe does not take kindly to those who barge in on his privacy 
and takes it as an offense to his command as captain, regardless if he's actually captain or not, and deals out corporal punishment to the Sevite. Penance can be offered, especially if the Sevite finds themselves on a ship. That ship's captain can relinquish his control, giving Nagwe full captaincy until sunrise, allowing him to control the ship and the crew as if he were their captain. But we don't want that, because the second that he takes control of this ship under his own purposes, he's gonna go take it to find Tiburon, because they have a rivalry, and they will always find a way to fight each other, no matter what's in the way. So the next time I call Captain Agwe, we just gotta put him in his place, because he also follows the charter, like any good captain should. Can't let him rule this ship. That's all I got. Roz has been leaning in whenever somebody talks and is completely enwrapped in whatever they're talking about. And as soon as Mama Coco's done talking, that is so cool. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Okay, all right. Let's reel it in. Lo siento. I guess it is my turn, yes? You might as well let your excitement out while we have the chance, we? And he takes off his shirt. I have this. Roz turns around to show his back. And across the upper part of his back, up on each shoulder blade, is a pair of pincers from this weird-looking crab. It's got crab claws coming up from his shoulder blades and these blue-green lines, like tribal markings, all throughout. And then he turns back around and puts his shirt back on. Well, that's fucking neat. See, I think so, too. It allows me to protect people. Let's see. I have used it before to save... Oh, this is a very long story. Let's see if I can sum it up for you. Someone I cared about who was very important to me at one point in time was in trouble. In mortal peril, if you will. And I had to save them. And so I did. Well, I almost died. But I didn't. Uh, they didn't either. And that's the point. I can summon the power of the crab to protect those that I care about. That's what it is. And Klaus looks at Roz. I could have sworn it had something to do with the fact that you can fly through the ropes. That is all me, senor. Pure natural talent up in the ropes. And Klaus nods approvingly. Jawohl. Well, I suppose this is a good segue to what I can do. And he puts his hand on the big giant tome that he brought in. I want to begin by saying that I don't have any inherent talent. What I do have is knowledge and science, and it's all in here. And with it, I can perform miracles. I am an alchemist. And Roz gasps aloud. I theus mio, but you are from Eisen. How is this possible? How did you learn? Who taught you? All right, calm down before you work yourself into a tizzy. Wait 30 seconds and I will answer your questions. Mine opera, meaning mine works, is in spagetics, medicine, or what I like to call pharmaceuticals. Currently, the minor things that I can do is create a potion called Montranin, which is eisen for poppy tears. It is essence of the bread seed poppy, 
you can drink it or I can give it as an injection, as Mama Coco found out. Well, as Captain Agwe found out. It can put you to sleep for 12 hours or so, untroubled by nightmares and untouched by any pain, physical or supernatural. I can also create an anesthetic I like to call Eisener's Will, which makes the target immune to taking pain. And I have created a thing I like to call the Zucker Pill. They are tiny white pills that can be swallowed or chewed. They enhance your natural talents. And Klaus looks over at Raz in emphasis. They don't grant any supernatural strength or speed or anything like that. It's simply a boost to what you have inherently. Klaus lets out a large yawn that he is unable to suppress. Not out of boredom, but because he is physically tired. We can see the bags and the deep impressions underneath his eyes. <sighs> to answer your question, your questions, Raz, I was part of the Wars across, a field medic, close to the Castilian border. It was my job to save lives, and my superiors thought that I would only save the lives of our people, other Eisenhers. They couldn't have been more wrong. As a practitioner of medicine, it is my job to see that anyone under my care is returned back to health, be them Castilian or Montaigne or Monster even. So, when I came across a Castilian soldier while tending to the wounded on the battlefield, I attempted to save his life. My general decided that that man needed to die. Instead of killing the man like I was supposed to, I carried him to safety across enemy lines. Back to Castile. I have not returned since. And I don't plan to. I stayed with them for a while. And they welcomed me as family. And that man was a Batacario. He taught me everything that he knows. My great work as an alchemist is to create panacea. A cure-all. To heal the body back to perfect health from terrible disease or even curses. At the mention of curses, Ursa grumbles a low, deep, almost growl when all eyes turn to her. There is a hesitation. Raz puts a hand gently on her shoulder. It is all right. You are among friends. None of us here mean you any harm. You're safe, Myanmar. I promise. Ursa nods and produces a nesting doll. Her black nails are revealed briefly before she removes her hand and hides them beneath the sheepskins. The nesting doll is about five inches tall, and it depicts an elderly woman. Raz, at Ursa's behest, with a quick nod of her head takes the nesting doll and begins to open it. And inside are smaller versions of this woman, and they grow younger as they go on. There are seven in total, ranging all the way from what appears to be infancy to the elderly visage of the largest doll. 
The three largest dolls have the most detail to them, down to what this woman appears to be wearing, which is normal regalia found in Ursura. Furs, heavy wools, boots, the whole deal. The smallest four are entirely black. There is no detail whatsoever, almost as if they have been dipped in the blackest ink possible and dried in coal dust. As Roz lays them all out on the table for everyone to see, even Charles has leaned forward, looked up from his whittling to understand what he's seeing. Cosette lowers the quill and looks at Ursa. Forgive me, I do not understand. Ursa makes a noise that sounds somewhere between a growl and a wince as she speaks plainly. Curse! She lowers her head and her hands reach up to hold her throat and Roz speaks up on her behalf. My friends, to sum it up in as few words as possible, and while I still don't quite understand if part of the curse or something involving this artifact, she cannot be seen in the light of day, and so it is only in darkness that she can thrive. At night, she is a bear. By day, she is caught in between. Partly why she is uh, called the bear of the village. See? From what I understand, from what I have seen, she has all the strength that a bear has. Now, at first, I thought that she only lacked riddles. But it seems that she is bound to only speak in riddles and in answer. When she tries to speak normally, it hurts her, as if her own voice is fighting her. And not only is Cosette writing everything down, but Klaus has also opened his book and is writing things down. Madame Marza, I have a few questions for you, if you do not mind. You do not need to speak at all. Nod for yes, shake for no. Oui? Ursa nods her head once. Trebian, is your curse from these? And she points to the nesting dolls. Ursa shakes her head softly from left to right. Were you cursed by, how you say, a fae or entity, a creature? Ursa nods solemnely. Since birth? Ursa again nods her head slower and it is accompanied by a heavy, rumbling sigh. Pardonnez-moi if I am being too bold or forward. Has the curse ever taken you over? Taken control? Like how Agwe commands Mama Coco? The camera can briefly see Ursa's bright red eyes glaze over in shame. And with grim affirmation, Ursa nods her head. Merci, Ursa. While Cosette was asking Ursa those questions, Roz had gently picked up the dolls and began to nest them back together. And when she is done, he gently takes Ursa's hand and puts the doll back into her blackened palm. And he looks up at her, and he's smiling. A soft smile, just for her, and says, in a surin, Digressiva, 
Ursa lowers her head as low as it can possibly go. Agnes stands up. She carried something in with her. Nobody really saw what it was because she went immediately to go sit down. And she throws it on the table. It's a coat. What coat? This coat is covered in a silvery gray fur. Maybe hair. And there are spots on it. And everybody looks down at the coat and looks over at Agnes and looks down at the coat again. Nobody has any kind of recognition as to what this is. Do I? You've heard of them. What have I heard? There are creatures in the sea that sometimes lure mostly young maidens, but sometimes young men as well to live a better life in the sea. And if you take their coat, you own them and they lose all of their powers. They are essentially humanized. But once they get their coat back, they go back to the sea and are never seen again. Agnes snatches the coat, bundles it. I'm a silky. Cosette leans forward. Pardon, I do not understand what that means. Agnes rolls her eyes and grits her teeth, and her jaw juts forward as she takes a breath in her nose and lets it out her mouth. I'm not human. I'm a fae, and I can turn into a seal, a leopard seal. This coat is how I do it, and it's mine. So if you see it, you let it be. That's, um, that's badass. Agnes turns her eyes to the captain. Can I go now? The work to be done. Hey, lass. Thank you. She nods and leaves as quickly as possible. Jessie's eyes are trained on her the whole time. She does not look happy as she's walking away. She is clutching that coat as close to her chest as she can. Anyone, unnecessarily on this crew, but anyone tries to take that from her, there will be hell to pay. Cosette looks up from her paperwork. Anyone takes that from her, they'll have full control over anything that she does. Charles clears his throat. <clears throat> and when all eyes turn to him, he plainly states, It'd be like taking Miss Cosette's blood from her. And Cosette nods knowingly and puts her quill down for the moment and looks up at the rest of the group. I'm sure you all remember the bleeding hole that the Red Coast managed to travel through. And if you were on deck, I'm sure you saw when I cut my hand and created a similar seeping wound in the world. That is because I am Sorcier du Port, a door sorcerer. What this means is I can cut open a hole in the world. Bleeding of the doorway itself is inherent in the sorcery, but also the sorcier must bleed. We arm the world, and so, to mitigate the pain, we also do harm to ourselves. It is not pretty. It is not beautiful. It is violent and powerful. To put it simply, what I can do is use my blood to mark things. I can then pull those things to me using the pot, or I can walk to them using the walkway. The walkway is a place between. We do not know much about it. The knowledge about the walkway could fill half a book. But I can walk through there if I need to get somewhere that I have marked. 
I can bring others with me. The more bodies that I bring, the more attention I get from the others. Cosette shakes her head as if to remove a bad memory. She takes a deep breath, folds both of her small hands in her lap, and continues. Before you ask, I had marked the sails of the Red Ghost, because I was there to help sow them. It was by pure accident that my blood was on those sails. It was only in the moment that I remembered, because it is a memory I wish to forget. Unlike most magics, sorciers are passed down through lineage and blood. My mother is a sorcier. She was on the Red Ghost. And if you are paying particular attention, she is the only one to have survived. She is strong enough to bring an entire ship through the walkway. She is no one to be trifled with. And that is the problem. You see, being a sorcier, you are also tied by blood. Which means that my mother, if she wishes to, can walk to me. And I to her. Which is why... I barged into your quarters, Captain, because I thought that she was here and that she shot you. The other thing I wanted to bring up, there was an individual on the Red Ghost with your mother and with Captain Stroud. The last that was at a bucket of blood that night, during the storm. Aye. Mad Maeve, she introduced herself as. I saw her too. An old friend of yours. (laughs) Was... An old friend. She is no longer. And due to certain things beyond my understanding, she seems to be tied to the Red Ghost in some way. I can't really say much more than that. I just figured if we're discussing problems that might be rearing their heads in the future, something to be aware of. I think that is all. I do believe that concludes our conversation. Oui. Do any of you have any questions, comments, or concerns? Roz leans forward. Are we sure there's no one else that has magic on the ship? Unless anyone else has come forward to speak up, then that is all those who innately possess sorcery. It was very strange that the wind suddenly appeared when they did. It might be that. I might be overthinking things. That was a very strange day. It was a strange day, but it's over. I would like to vote that we never do it again. There's a small chuckle from Klaus. This meeting is adjourned. We have a ship to fix, friends. I think we should best take care of that. I'd rather not sink any sabers. And Ursa grunts, looks over at the captain, nods. Thank you for coming, Ursa. We appreciate it very much. Ursa leans down next to Roz, and Roz holds up his head. She would very much like it if you all left first so that she could then leave so that you're not waiting on her. Right. All of you, let's move. And everybody gets up and they go and they leave, leaving Roz and Ursa as the last people there. And we're going to just, the camera's just going to linger just a little bit as it's leaving through the door. (laughs) As Jesse's leaving, he turns to Roz, tips his hat, winks, and walks out. (laughs) Roz bows and then looks at Ursa. We pan away from that scene. Something happens. Something beautiful and awesome. Yeah. 
So the ship is being repaired. Let's see. Hawthorne is going back and forth from land to ship, land to ship, gathering supplies, getting more planks, repairing things. It's going to take a little bit to get her seaworthy again. They have assured you that they will get the ship ship shape in a day. Let's talk wealth real quick. Sure. We got six wealth added last time. We have to split that up between Waylon and Jesse, as well as the crew. How much does it take to pay the crew? It's half. So is it half of what we have, or is it half of what we got? It's half of what you have in your treasury. You're keeping track of your own personal wealth. You're also keeping track of the ship's wealth. So is it rounded up or down? It's always rounded down. So three wealth goes to the crew, and then there is four left over. In the treasury. I think we would each end up having two, and there would be two in the treasury. I'd say that's a pretty good haul. Seems well-rounded. Okay. While you're at harbor, the only time you have to worry about paying your crew is after a journey. Which, I mean, we just took. So, unless you're going to go out to sea again, you don't have to worry about your treasury bleeding money. Because you've already paid them, you've already taken care of the repairs. That's what that money is for. Let me set a note. Paid the crew. Hell yeah. The repairs are going to take you one more day at port. So you're in Makaro for a little while longer. Happy crew, happy ship. Happy ship, say happy captain. Sounds good to me. So what's next? Oh, that's a good question, captain. Now, you have a map to whatever it is lies in Makaro for you, Jesse. And Wayland, there are some treasure hunters that are looking for potentially Shades folk. We should probably go after that treasure that those punks are trying to get at. So, let's try to cut those buccaneers off at the pass. Snag that first, and in turn, I think we'll find our way to the hut in Makaro and find what we need there, perhaps. Whatever that may be. In Makaro, you will find one of those that is defined. A favor to the one that holds the heart of our beloved stone. Interesting that Shade knew what it was. Do you believe in coincidence, Jesse? I believe in a lot of things. Why? Just curious. What makes you ask? It's a phrase I heard once. The world is rarely so lazy. I have a feeling a lot of things are converging. And I don't know. Maybe it's superstition, maybe it's not. It might be what was ever in that drink. (laughs) (laughs) Had you considered that? The drink maker's hands were moving very fast. I didn't see everything that went into it. (laughs) Regardless of what was in that drink, you might be right. But we won't know until anything crosses. If anything crosses. We are more than lucky to have made it to Makara alive. Very true. Well, shall we head back? I think we can head out if we want. Hi. Where are you guys right now on the ship? Walking and talking. Yeah, they're probably heading towards the ropes down. Jesse had already mentioned to Mama Coco their plan. Mentioned that there were some additional things that we wanted to take care of while we were here. And just to focus the efforts on preparing the ship as best we could. I kept done. Thank you, Mama. Anytime. Are you feeling all right? Yeah, I'm more ashamed than anything, really. Ferrison, you shouldn't feel ashamed. That was unfortunately part of my doing. If I had let you be, none of this would have happened. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the sorry one. 
I should have made my intentions more clear. I... I do trust you. You know that, right? Of course I know that. I wouldn't be here otherwise. All right. I'll get everything ready for you. Thank you, my dear. You have the helm. It's a good thing we ain't going nowhere fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Master Greywell. Hey, Captain. Let's go. Nakara waits. Wayland, from behind you, you hear, Wait, Master Greywell? Hi, Jory. Jory. For fuck's sakes. Sorry if I'm interrupting anything, Captain. I... Yar. Oh. You're fine. What do you want? Make it quick. Well, and he's holding a sopping wet bundle in his arms. It's like dripping water. What is... He hands it out to you, and as he does, the sleeve of your coat falls off. Oh. Remember when you took a coat off and you used it to plug the holes in the... It's coming back to me, yeah. Yeah, well, I, uh, I kind of forgot it was there, and... It shrunk a little bit, and when I went to go take it out, it just kind of fell apart. Right. I'm real sorry. It's not your fault. It was my decision. You know what, Jory? Aye, sir? I think it's time we put this to rest. Cut it up, use it for rags, whatever buttons are left, toss them in the treasury. Aye, sir. And he scoops up the arm and puts it up. Are you sure about that, Willard? It means a lot to you. I hung on to it for a long time. I think it served its purpose. And I don't think it's going to be doing us any good moving forward. I put a target on my back and others. And I think it'll serve Jory a bit better as a rag than me in the Makaran heat. Heavy wool doesn't exactly seem to be of much use in the Atabayan in general. That's why you go linen, my friend. The ATC are too stuffy. <laughs> You're telling me. We'll get you a nicer coat. Yeah. All right. As you turn to take the ropes, Charles catches your eye. Oi, you off? Aye. Right then. And with a grim face, he begins to walk away. Charles! He halts and turns around to face you. Captain? Come here. He reluctantly takes the couple of steps back to you. What's wrong? Nothing, Captain. Everything's great. Nothing could possibly be wrong right now. And I'd best be making sure nothing else goes wrong. Get on with it, you bastard. <clears throat> we'll see you in a few hours. Charles flashes both of you a smile, and in that smile is a seething anger that he visibly swallows down. He turns on his heel and leaves without another word. And the last thing the camera sees of Charles is how white his fists are at his sides. He's looking at Charles and leans over to Wayland. He needs some time to breathe. I think the whole crew could all use a vacation. Well, <laughs> I'm joking. That's not going to happen. A climb and a Makara dock ride later, you are at the beach. You spot Kieran walking up to you. Ahoy! Good afternoon. Afternoon! I saw that you guys went to the fruit stand. How did you enjoy hard Makaros? Oh, it was incredible. God, don't even get me started. Yeah? Yeah, good stuff. There's a whole other market beyond the fruit stand. I know it's kind of hidden around the trees, but if you go around the beach, just around the trees there, there's a whole cool market that a bunch of people show up in. Guys like you. Pirates. Right? We're pirates, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, we're pirates. How could you tell? I don't know. I had a funny hunch. Jesse turns to look at the rose. You're definitely not ATC, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go have fun. I am in the market for a new coat. And I'm in the market for fun. You'll find plenty of that this way. <laughs> As Cosette would say, Alonzi, I believe. Alonzi. And you guys head into the market. 
It's like a typical on the beach, half pitched canvas tent and people hawking and there are people selling food and drink. There are people selling wares and goods. There's a couple of Rahuri vendors selling Rahuri goods. There are Makara around. Yes. Yay. Vibing. Straight up vibing. Love that. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Anywhere you suggest in particular to maybe take a look? Well, you said you're looking for a new coat, right? Aye, yeah. One of the vendors, actually, that's set up, they're getting ready to leave, so maybe their stock's a little low and they want to just offhand it as quickly as they can. Empty cargo hold is a happy ship for you, Captain. There's, and he looks around as if judging to see if somebody is nearby and then leans in a little close. Jesse leans in really close. Wayland, get in here. Wayland, really close. Do you have your straw hat on? I do. As Jesse moves forward, he pulls his head back. Luciana peers out and leans in really close to you. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old lady. Don't call her that, though. She gets real uppity. I think her stall is full of junk, but there have been some cool things in there. I'd start there. I'm always down for thrifting. Me too. Yeah, she's got some weird stuff. Hey, antiquing is a hobby. Uh, she's down that way. And he points and... All right. Hey, do you know what's at the center of Makara? Just, like, out of curiosity. The heart of Makara, of course. Everybody knows that. Does not mean. <laughs> is that like where the drink comes from? Well, I mean, sure. That is where most of the banana trees grow. I guess. You know, that makes a lot of sense now why there's so much banana in it. Anyway, it's an ancient ruin. You just go right up to it. Oh, all right. I mean, I've seen it a couple of times. It's nothing special, really. But it is a tourist attraction. If you're not here for the Makara, you're here for the heart of Makara. And I'm not talking about the drink. I heard that phrase quite a lot. Yeah, they got to change the name of that drink. Oh, it's catchy. It's just the, well, it's the heart of Makaro and not the drink. Yeah, see? He gets it. It's a catchphrase. Like, I want that embroidered on a shirt. <laughs> I don't. It would take up too much space. So, antiquing. Jesse grabs Waylon's shoulders. We're going thrifting. We're going thrifting. You know, my mother was an antiquer. Really? No, I have no idea. I never knew her. Oh, well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <clears throat> well, perhaps maybe she dabbled. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe it's in my blood. Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Wayland just punches him on the arm. You're a funny man, Wayland. I certainly try. I don't always succeed, but I do try. People should start calling you a fungus. A mushroom. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was definitely Evan fucking that up, which makes it even better. <laughs> so uh that's that's staying. <laughs> Wayland loses his shit. <laughs> so So anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> Evan, please take me through. Let's go! Because <laughs> I am oh, a fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I love you so much. Oh my god. 
plus one hero point for making Zoe laugh. Okay, where do you go? We're going thrifting. Awesome. Definitely not the Salvation Army. Savers. Boston's Garment District. Do we do the weird shop first or we do the folks who are packing up? Let's look for a coat and then pick it up on the way back. Sounds like a plan. We get a quick montage of Wayland stepping out of a changing room with several different coats. <laughs> He's wearing like a big, like a, like a, a Mexican poncho. <laughs> Jesse shakes his head. <laughs> pulls out like a, an Asuran fur coat. Jesse shrugs a little bit and shakes his head. I like when Jesse shrugs. Waylon just starts to pass out from heat exhaustion. <laughs> Jesse goes over to like help him up. He comes out in, like a finely Victorian dress. Jesse's like confused. You're right. It's too much. It's too much. <clears throat> and then Waylon finally emerges in a long, sleeveless, dark brown, waxed cotton coat that comes down to about mid-shin. Gray collar, gray lapels. Oh, I love it. Hell yeah. This is a very light, thin jacket, but with it being waxed is, you know, rain repellent and all that jazz. Simple, not iron. <laughs> Specifically not iron. Dull copper buzz. Mm -hmm. I approve. Erase one wealth. Taking this now. Yeah, well, it's sleeveless. You'll be fine. Now, Wayland, keep your manners about you. You guys head to the little... I say little, it's not. It's a lot bigger on the inside kind of deal. As Kieran said, it almost looks like junk. Just lying about, cast around, some's in the sand, some's underneath the tent. It's almost like a hoarder's paradise. There's so much stuff just everywhere and there are some other people in the shop jesse walks in as he passes those people he smiles and nods tips his hat there is a woman seated on what appears to be a cask of maybe was once wine or mead and she is dressed in normal aragosta attire very slapdash some colorful some dull few rips, a couple of holes in her blouse and her pants. Her boots are very weather-worn. And she is older, probably anywhere between late 50s, early 60s, maybe even a little older. She has the lines near her eyes, the crow's feet, the smile lines. She has blonde hair that is tied in a braid to her side. And as soon as you guys walk in, she lifts her head up. Ahoy. Hello. Good evening. If you pick it up, I'll know about it. Aye? Aye. Aye. So, let's start taking a peek. Anything jump out at us immediately? Not immediately, no. It takes you a little bit. As you're looking, you're, you're actually realizing that some of this actually is junk. There are rusted firearms that will never fire again. The wood is all splintered and swollen and cracked. It looks like it's seen the bottom of the sea and returned. There's something about that that fascinates Wayland, but then seeing the state of the guns, his stomach's just like churning a little bit. It's like, oh, no. Jesse, there are silks and linens and all sorts of clothes. And then both of you set your eyes on a lantern. Now, it's not a normal 
ship lantern like you would find on your ship or someone else's. It is a wrought iron casted lantern. And there's no wick in the middle of it. There's no place to light where the wick would be. There's no place to set a candle so that it doesn't fall over. There's no glass on it. There's a single hook. So mm-hmm. how dare you? How dare I what? I fucking love lanterns. <laughs> I I did not know that. How fucking dare you, first of all? Second of all, that's a cool <laughs> fucking lantern. <laughs> Jeff's gonna walk right the fuck up to that lantern and is looking at it intently. It's getting real close to touch. Thinking the iron is probably setting off some bells as well. Question about the lantern. Answer about the lantern. Does it look like it's in a single piece? Yes. All right, all right, all right. Jesse picks it up and turns around to face her and just points at it. Almost as if the second that your skin touched it, she looks in your direction and she nods to you. It's a lantern that can't carry a flame. Why not? Don't know. Tried putting a candle in it. Doesn't light. Tried putting oil in it. Won't stay. Jesse looks to Wayland. Fairy fire? It's made of iron. Where did you get this? Picked it up in Avalon as a trade. I mean, I mean, looking around the shop, do I see the buccaneers? You had to fucking ask that question. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure. God. You see a buccaneer, not the one with the parrot on his shoulder, but one of them. Okay. They appear to be intently looking at some kind of compass. It's a compass that's open and the needle is constantly spinning and rotating. And they're just like staring intently at it and wondering, should we pick it up? Should we not? I don't know. It's a compass that doesn't work. Don't, bro. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Got two wealth. (laughs) (laughs) Got three between us. That's so good. That's so good. Fuck, that's so good. Yeah. (laughs) He puts the lantern back down. Mm -mm, mm -mm. What? what? Why are you shaking it? What what do you mean? What's it's a lantern? It's not doing. I picked it up in Avalon. It seems kind of obvious. Yeah, but you came from Avalon. You're not quite obvious. I don't know what I was trying to get at with that. Look. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, go on, go on. What's not obvious about me? What specifically is not obvious about me? How heavy was it? It was pretty heavy. Almost like it was made out of cast iron. That shit's fucking heavy, Wayland. I mean... Pick it up. I... I don't... All right. Mm. Jesse's like side-eyeing a woman. Right now, she is turned facing someone else. I'm gonna block the lantern with my body to make sure that the buccaneer can't see. And I will pick up the lantern. The second you touch the lantern, she turns around and faces you. Mm. Jesse is looking at her side-eyed and smiles. Does anything happen when I pick up the lantern? It's heavy. It's real heavy. Uh, well, I, look, it's it's really cool regardless. There's something mysterious about a lantern that can't carry a flame. Hey, what do you think? We'll keep looking. All right. The lantern down. She turns back around. Jesse, as you're looking around again at more junk, more things, more stuff, there is a folded set of canvas. They appear to be sails, all folded nice and 
somewhat neatly. You can see one of the corners is sticking out. You see the big grommet where the sail line goes through. And they shimmer with this weird sheer. They're a little too white. They're a little too clean, especially in this shop. It appears to be a full set. There's like stacks of them. Jesse absolutely goes over and puts a hand on them and looks to her. Second that you put a hand on, she turns around. What do they feel like? They feel like silk. Really smooth silk. She looks at you, looks at what you have your hand on, sighs heavily, almost as if there's some kind of weight on her. Called the Widow's Veil. Give me a minute while I remember the story. There's a story? Always is, if you listen. Hey, I like a good story, too. Mayland? You know how I feel about stories. Wayland smiles at Jesse and recalls the first time that they met. Duh. He's smiling and he holds silk up to him. I can feel these. Now that's weird. What? These are sails? Like sheer, yeah. How does that even work? Who would make this? This looks like fail of a wedding dress. It certainly does. The elderly woman stands up from her seated position at the front of the tent and maneuvers her way towards Wayland and Jesse. She moves slowly, partially because there's very little room to move, thanks to all of the accoutrements, and partially because she is of wizened age, and it shows. She finally comes to rest near the both of them and sits as she begins to speak. It's said that Captain Layla Barlow of the Widow had a set of sails commissioned for her ship for her wedding night. They were sheer, made of the finest silks from Cathay and the most pearlescent white. But hours before speaking her solemn vows, Captain Layla entered her quarters to find her groom-to-be entangled within the loving arms of her first mate. Out of rage and despair, she murdered the both of them, tore the sails down with her bare hands, and wailed for days into them, vowing to never marry again. Legend says that Captain Barlow was so distraught with grief that they captured the shards of her broken heart, immortalizing them in the crystal sheer. Still more tales say that these sails were passed down from wrathful widow to scorned lover, and to every broken heart in between, and their tears imbued themselves into the silk alongside Captain Barlow's. Their wishes and wails for a life of obscurity and separation from the world hid them from the eyes of men and God, and can be heard in the whispers of the wind as it caresses these sails. And like all good storytellers, she pauses for dramatic effect. And I found these on an empty ship, listing in the Atabayan, beached upon a lonely sandbar. What was the state of the ship? No worse for wear. Scrapes on the hull, mostly. When I trolled up to her side, I thought I would be fired upon. But there was not so much as a peep from the other deck. And when I boarded, there wasn't a soul on board. No captain. No crew. Not so much as a rat. 
The ship was empty. Just a lonely ship with beautiful sails. Were the sails rigged, or were they stowed away? They seemed to have been rolled up, as if that was the last thing anyone did, perhaps after running aground. I'm not gonna lie, if the stories are true, that would be incredibly useful. They're beautiful anyway. He leans in. That could get us to the next leg of our journey. We have to pass for freedom. You're right. Miss. He holds his hand out, as if to ask her name. You can call me Sonia. S-O-N-Y-A. Miss Sonia, how much for these sails? Well, normally a set of sails, regardless of what mystery lies beneath, goes anywhere between 75 and 100 pieces of gilder. But I'll let it go for 50. Which translates to two wealth in-game. Of course, okay. Is there consequences for us not having any personal wealth? No. Okay. You can afford lodging and food, and the wealth is for the extra stuff, such as this. He pulls out a bag of coins, hands them to her. She takes it, weighs it in her hand, tossing it a bit. She listens to the coins jingle in the pouch, and then nods approvingly and ties it to her belt. These will come in handy. One way or another. For sure. The lantern. I. How much? Aren't you listening? It doesn't work. It's a better use as a paperweight. Look, my mother worked in antiques. Jesse looks to Wayland. The snarky <laughs> fuck you look. <laughs> Wayland just gives him a shit-eating grin right back. It's an interesting oddity, and it might be a good prank gift. Sonia takes the few steps over to the lantern, looks down at it. Iron's still good. Some detail work in there. 25 pieces of gilder. One wealth. In-game mechanics. I got some ideas. Sonia reaches for the lantern, but is slightly too slow as another hand snatches up the lantern, the hand of the buccaneer you saw earlier, and they proceed to run out of the tent. Wayland. Right. I paid for it. And I book it. The camera, which was positioned on one of the tables facing the exit of the tent, gets bumped and knocked onto the sand as Wayland and Jesse run after this person. A little bit of sand gets kicked up on the lens. Sonia leans down. We see her hand grab the camera, brush the sand off of it, and stick it back on the table, facing outward, watching the two of them run. I know, I am so terrible leaving you off at the beginning of the chase scene. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Any good storyteller will tell you. It's always good to leave on a cliffhanger. I'll see you next time. Be safe and well.